Welcome to Robin Hunt Financial Market Update, where the city can preview. You should learn about Robin Hunt Financial. Bye. Thank you, Bobby Hunt, for the great intro. It is the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update with your host, Robert Hunt, where we look at the week's financial news. That can be a bit confusing, misleading, and take us off course, and we hope to make it actionable, understandable, and clear. Another great week for you, the listener. Some excellent data that I think will contribute mightily to helping your confidence in your investing. We are going to look at the exact age when you make your best financial decisions. This will surely create a ruckus amongst my listeners who are a variety of ages, but it's the Wall Street Journal, so don't shoot the messenger. We then are going to see an article that talks about what super rich Americans are doing. It says they're giving up on the stock market. Where are they putting the money? You'll find out in seven minutes. And then we look at a reflection I have on a presentation I gave this week to a local company here in Dallas, the Streetlights Residential Development Company. I had the pleasure of presenting to their, their group and their satellite offices a presentation about various financial truths that I wanted to share some of the highlights from because I suspect it will be beneficial to you. That The title of that was Financial Truths Unlocking Confidence in Your Investing. So some fun data from that at the top. Did you ever imagine or think that there was an exact age when you made your best financial decisions? Well, I always suspected there would be an optimal age. Well, the Wall Street Journal has fallen on this sword. This title says the exact age when you make your best financial decisions by Claire Ansberry. There's a magic number for when your expertise and cognitive powers align. <gasps> oh, dear. Oh, dear. All right, are you ready? I'm just going to tell you the answer. The prime years for making smart financial decisions are on average 53 and 54. At around that age, people have acu- the article says people have accumulated knowledge and experience about money, spending, and saving, but haven't begun losing those key analytic cognitive skills. Okay, this is the roughly the age when adults make the fewest financial mistakes. So, I felt like this article was instructive because we're all somewhere on the spectrum. I'm 38. That means I'm not at the optimal age. Doesn't mean I can't push myself to make optimal decisions, but according to the data, I'm not the optimal age. I've got more experience, and I think there's there's some truth there. I notice every year, certainly maybe every five-year period, I look back and say, I think I'm better now than I was then. The article continues. And that age here goes is why it's great to be older. As we get older, we seem to rely more on past experience, rules of thumb, and intuitive knowledge about which products or strategies are better. Chumuk, this Chumuk led a 2022 study that looked at financial literacy, which is financial literacy is the ability to understand financial information and apply it to managing personal finances. So they gave like one of the questions they'd ask on one of these surveys. It says, if in five years your income has doubled and prices have doubled, will you be able to buy less, the same, or more than today? Well, the answer is the same. So if inflation went up and your income went up, but it went up the same, yeah, you're in the same spot. So 
what are you to make with this? Well, the, the article continues and tells a story about a financial coach who helps a lot of people. And part of the kind of aha moment is that in your 50s, it says, you have enough maturity and experience to know you need help. So, to me, the height of wisdom is the admission of ignorance. You may have heard me describe these four stages of learning before. The most dangerous stage of learning is the first. In that first stage of learning, you don't know that you don't know. In the second stage, you know that you don't know. It's a good stage. The third stage is you know that you know. The fourth stage is you don't know that you know. You're so proficient at a particular skill that it's just intuitive to you. Well, a lot of money gets lost in that first stage when you don't know that you don't know because you don't know. But when you get, and this article says, folks in their 50s, they realize, hold on, hold on. They've made enough mistakes. They say, you know, I think I might need help. Or at least they are willing to say, I think... I've learned enough from my mistakes that I at least am going to double check my own work or have someone look over my shoulder. So, interesting article. Don't let the data um, convince you you can't do things. I'm a firm believer that not only is all education self-education, but no one cares more about your money than you do. It is my belief that the best concoction for the investor is to marry that expertise that that individual has with accountability that can come in the form of, surprise, surprise, an hourly financial advisor that can encourage, exhort, rebuke, sharpen what you are doing with your personal finances. What I don't like is abdication. I don't like abdicating, meaning you just simply assign the task of money management to someone else a lot, a lot of unpleasant things have happened uh, when that occurs. And I saw a very sad story. It's not on our story list, but I saw that the quarterback Baker Mayfield looked like he was in a lawsuit with his parents, maybe, because there was $12 million in these various companies that his, his dad was running. And he asked, you know, years later about, oh, where's the money? It's gone. So that could have been, I don't know for sure, but that could have been an example of abdication. You just think, oh, great, we'll just let someone else handle it. Oh, very painful most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time when that happens. And then article headlined, this is Yahoo Finance, which can be a sewer, but in this case it wasn't. Headline, super rich Americans are giving up on the stock market and holding historic levels of cash. Here's why and what they're plowing their wealth into instead. So you betcha, clickbait 101. Yahoo's been working on clickbait since 2001. So they've gotten pretty good at it. They've been, they've been playing this game for a while. I clicked, but I actually felt this was worthwhile for you, the listener. The Robin Hood Financial Market Update article begins. Across the country, America's super-rich have reduced their exposure to the stock market by the most dramatic margin in years, Ooh, according to recent data from the Capgemini Research Institute. Cap, whenever, you, by the way, as an aside, narrator's voice, whenever you read something like, I have no idea what the Capgemini Research Institute is, it could be one dude in an apartment in Bryan, Texas, you know, eating, eating Cheetos and 
watching baseball. You know, we we don't know, so it's always good to kind of, they could be a very legitimate house, but just beware when that, those things come up. High net worth individuals defined by Capgemini as those with a million dollars or more in investable assets. They hold over 34% of their portfolios in cash. Woo! As of January 2023. Now check this. This is what's interesting, listener. That's the highest level since at least 2002. It's also significantly higher than the 24% cash exposure those very same investors had last year. Whoa. Whoa, okay. There's a Robert Frank, who's a CNBC wealth editor, says wealthy investors are still in wealth preservation mode. Uh, fine. More than two-thirds of investors said preserving capital is a top priority. And it references what I think is important to at least say out loud, the two-year government treasury bond yields about 5%. Well, let's, that's understandable why someone would just want to camp out in cash, okay? Now, this is, this is we're going to have to put on our hats a little bit here, but the article explains that the S&P 500 has an earnings yield of 4%. Now, I don't, if you want to Google earnings yield, you can't, but it's the inverse of that price to earnings ratio. So a lot of times people will Say, hey, what you know? Is the stock market cheap or expensive? It's not this easy. Don't let someone tell you it is. But the look at this ratio called the price-to-earnings ratio, and that that multiple, that multiple when it's high, they'll say, oh, it's expensive. When it's low, it's cheap. Well, the price-to-earnings ratio when it gets below these U.S. government bonds, some people, some investors, up. Oh, that's my signal. That's not a good deal. I don't want to own stocks. I want to own bonds. And there's 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 a there's a grain of truth there. So, but. You may have seen this coming. I do think this is a dangerous game that investors are playing, particularly as they define these super-rich Americans, right? Um, What's really hard is actually sticking with a strategy. So these investors are in cash right now because in their estimation, cash is optimal versus stocks or long-term bonds. Now, what's going to be hard is when do you flip the switch? Because the stock market's anticipatory in nature. So this is tough to get our minds around, but we must do it. The stock market's absorbing all this information all the time. Always thinking. Stock market's always thinking. It's everyone's mind voting with dollars. So it's pretty efficient, pretty good. It's anticipating that these rates won't stay high forever. It could be right, could be wrong. As index fund investors, we are along for the ride. It's going to be tough for people that rotate into cash to pull the trigger, right? Because think about if it was only so easy. If if it was this easy, I'll just go to cash when yields are high. And when yields get low, I'll go to the stock market. Hold on. That stock market's a moving target. It is probable that when those rates go back down, you're actually going to be paying up for that stock market investment. You're going to be paying up. So I like people to think in 50-year chunks. So in 50-year chunks, you probably aren't going to want to play this game of rotate to cash now, rotate to stocks later. You're probably going to want a portfolio with permanence. Permanence is the key. When I look at a client's financial situation, I'm actually not optimizing for rate of return. I'm not even optimizing for what I think can maximize their net worth in 5 to 10 years. Because I believe what makes the most sense for the client is what's the plan they understand they're energized by, and they'll stick with for 50 years. If for 50 years you earn a 7% rate of return, but I could have gotten you 10 maybe, but you may have bailed after two years, what do you think's better? That's right. 
He who gathers little by little will increase, but wealth gained hastily will dwindle, as the scriptures warn us. So I'm not interested in this optimizing rate of return business. I'm interested in what can the client stick with for a very, very long time. So I understand the allure of cash. Uh, my suggestion is not to take the bait and try to rotate out of stocks and rotate into cash. I think it's a fine time to have cash if you would have otherwise just held it normally. Fantastic. Optimize the yield all you can. Get your 5.25% at a Vanguard money market fund or some other one. And then to my presentation to our friends at Streetlights who were kind enough to invite me in. Some data points that I found interesting as I presented to them. Did you know? Did you know? I found this to be amazing. I looked at the one of the cheaper S&P 500 funds and the most, one of the most expensive S&P 500 funds. So the cheap one, I no surprise, the Vanguard 500 fund, it costs the, something called an expense ratio that determines the price of a financial product. That S&P 500 fund costs 0.03%. Now, if you don't shop, with, shop for financial products a lot, that means nothing, but I can tell you, that's cheap. And recall, listener, that financial products are to be shopped for the way we shop for gasoline. The lowest price wins. One index fund is basically the same as another index fund. Now, we want price leadership. We want people who have had low prices for a while. We don't want to go for some low today, high tomorrow guy, but 0.03% is pretty low. Guess how much the most expensive S&P 500 fund was? That, mind you, is the exact same fund. Can you imagine how much it cost? It's about 2.36%, which is about 78 times the price. Same product. And this, this fund had $200 million in assets under management. $200 million of people's money was at 78 times the price, 2.36%. Now, listener, we must ask ourselves, this side of the Garden of Eden, how is this possible? Do you think these investors sought this product out? And amongst the litany of choices, they chose this product? Or do you think they were pushed this product by a quote-unquote financial advisor? You would be correct if you assumed that these products were pushed. There is no way someone's going to walk into a gas station and pay $234 a gallon, but that's exactly the equivalent of what people are doing buying this S&P 500 index fund. So, listener, it's critical. If you don't know how to shop for financial products by price, then you don't know how to shop for financial products. And it may not be enough for you to believe me that price is basically all that matters, that you may not think the product's been commodified. But you've got to remember, why do you know that gasoline's commodified? Well, you buy it enough, you kind of talk to enough people, you've done enough research, you've got to do that little bit of research with financial products. You've got to be willing to put in a little bit of work, read a couple books, not a lot of books, just a couple. I like The Simple Path to Wealth by Joe Collins. I like The Little Book of Common Sense Investing by John Bogle. I like The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. I like The Richest Man in Babylon by Mr. Clayson. These are good books. I also happen to like the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. The big four, as, as we're known. So, be willing to ask the difficult question, what does this cost, and be willing to wait. You, you purchaser of the financial product, you, the purchaser of financial advice, 
you are entitled to that answer. My experience is, when individuals ask that question to a financial advisor, they are made to think that that was a silly question. Why is it not a silly question? I'm glad you asked. There is something called the SPIVA report, S-P-I-V-A report. It is a third-party S&P service to determine who is winning in the active versus passive investing debate. Because what the adversary of my low-cost wins philosophy would say was, well, Robert, you pay more, you get more. Now, in the S&P 500 index example I gave you, they wouldn't, but in an actively managed fund that costs maybe 1% compared to the 0.03% index fund, they might say, Robert, for that 1%, you get more. You'll get a greater rate of return picking the good stocks and ignoring the bad ones. But the SPIVA report tells something different. The SPIVA report shows that over a 15-year period, only 5% or so of active funds will beat their index. Only 5%. And that data rings true across asset classes, mid-cap, small-cap, Asian, European, emerging markets, whatever that data holds. So, price is what you pay, value is what you get. In the words of the great, late Jack Bogle, you get what you don't pay for in investing. Did you catch that? You get what you don't pay for in investing. In almost every other arena, you get what you pay for. In investing, you don't. Because the more you pay for a commodity, those returns are simply being sapped out of your account. No one's winning when they go to the gas station and they say, oh, it's normally $3 a gallon, but I'm going to pay $234 a gallon. That gas station wouldn't last a day. But in the financial product space and financial advice space, people don't know what they pay, and that ignorance allows for usurious pricing. So don't be someone who doesn't ensure they're paying the appropriate price for the financial products. So... As always, keep those costs low, keep that investing simple, and keep that time horizon long. That's what's going to give you the best shot on your investing journey.